0: Happy Wednesday, whatever time of day it is to our bingers. This is new for me, Nina, that I'm not doing a – I used to record an intro later. Right. For the beginning of the show. And I just stopped doing it I realized in the middle of that sentence that I don't know how to intro the show live. (laughs) (laughs) So what's up, bingers? I'm joined today by Nina Instead, the host of the Already Gone podcast. And Nina used to live up here near me and you have wisely moved out of this garbage. (laughs) <laughs> uh, weather that we're having up here. Yes, are you, are you? You're down south somewhere, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I'm near Atlanta.
0: Oh, and how's the weather down there?
1: Lovely. It'll be 50 today and partly cloudy and just delightful.
0: Not not snowing and kind of mixing a little bit of rain and 28 degrees.
1: Nope. nothing no. like that. No, I'm going to take the dog for a nice long walk.
0: Oh, I'm jealous, jealous. So you are you're you're from um, Oakland County, like the Detroit area?
1: I am. I grew up in Berkeley Troy Madison Heights area.
0: Okay. And then did you spend much time in your adult life here? How did you how do I guess how did you end up in Atlanta?
1: So I lived in Michigan my entire life until 2019 when my husband who works for UPS was summoned to the mothership. And they wanted him <laughs> down here. So we moved down here so he would have to travel less and then about Five months after we moved, the whole COVID thing happened, and he's been working from home ever since.
0: So, it could have worked from anywhere, and, and yeah. Now, do you do do you do work other than than the podcast anymore, or is it just strictly because you have what three podcasts actually, right?
1: Yes, I'm a civilian volunteer with the Missing in Michigan organization, but okay. that's just volunteer work working on missing persons cases.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So, t- tell us about your what was your career? I mean, I mean, you have. You have quite an education. You have what you uh, a, you have a master's degree in. Is it, were you a teacher? I, I'm I reading was. my notes from Erica, pretending That's as okay. though I know this stuff off the top of my head. Ah, uh, but you see that you have a master's in education from Central Michigan.
1: Yes, my first job was working on an inpatient psychiatric program as the admissions coordinator. I mm-hmm. would talk families through how to help their sick loved one be admitted for inpatient psychiatric treatment. And I did that for about six years, did some healthcare marketing, and then went back to school to be a teacher. And I worked as a technology teacher for about eight years when I had to quit work. So my daughter got sick.
0: Oh, okay. I was like, I didn't know what, what, what there was more to why you had to quit work. Yeah. So how long ago was that?
1: Uh, that was 2000, uh, 2015.
0: 2015. And then, so, that, so you started the podcast in 2016. I did. So you didn't, you didn't spend much time without doing some sort of work. How did the podcast come to be?
1: So my daughter developed agoraphobia, and she was eight okay. and would not leave the house. So I had to quit work to stay home with her. And I was going crazy because I'm a doer. I like to be doing something all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to podcasts to sort of help me cope with being stuck home, watching SpongeBob with my eight-year-old. Right. And I, I said to my husband one day, I'm like, you know, I like to write and I have a nice voice. Maybe I should start a podcast. What do you think? And he was like, Well, I don't know. And he came home that day with a blue yeti microphone.
0: Oh wow. That's a yeah. awesome. very supportive husband then.
1: Very supportive husband.
0: That's so great. I've
1: been I started the podcast a couple months later.
0: So uh now has your uh, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's that's fine. I'm I'm curious with the agoraphobia. Like, have, have you been able to make any strides with that, or do you still? Is that something you still battle with at the same time with doing your work as the podcaster?
1: She's doing much better, which I'm very grateful for. So she's able. She's able to leave the house and and has a much more normal. She's almost 16, so she's has a much more normal life now.
0: Yeah, that's 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 awesome because that's that's a scary thing when you have. I had, well, I have four kids. And when, before I was a parent, I knew that I had this parenting thing all figured out and I know exactly <laughs> how everything was going to work. And, and, and I knew exactly, anytime I saw a kid that was misbehaving, it was clearly the parents don't know what they're doing. My clearly. kids will never. Uh, and I found with uh, four children that uh, all four of them have different personalities and different. Issues and strengths and everything else, and um I'm just really just here just to sort of guide them along whatever path they're they're headed down and try to keep them out of the bumpers yeah it's it's a challenge gutters, I think is what I was looking for there. <laughs> so no now, so when you you started the podcast, did you know that you wanted to do true crime right off the the beginning? Yes,
1: I absolutely wanted to do true crime. I knew that.
0: When you started, uh, I guess walk us through the process of, because I mean, there's a development process. You don't just get a mic and start talking. You've got to figure out what you want to talk about, what type of format you want to have, what kind of cases you want to talk about. So talk a little bit about the development of Already Gone.
1: So when I when I decided to start the podcast, I really liked covering cases, or I found that as I covered cases, I liked covering ones where I knew where it had happened and I could picture the location. Mm-hmm. And I also had... Sort of an interesting childhood in that when I was little, and I was very little, um, the Oakland County child killer was murdering kids and took a child from a couple of streets over from me. So literally, there was the serial killer attacking children in my own neighborhood when I was little. She went to the same elementary school that I did. It was you know it was right there in my face, and I remember thinking when I started the podcast that someday I'm going to have the gumption to cover that case and to tackle that unsolved case. So that was always. I knew it was going to be true crime, and I hoped to someday get to the point where I could do something with the Oakland County
0: child killer. Well, and that's the case when we get to the case of the day. We're, we're going to be talking about. It. I was on being from. I've born, raised, lived my whole life in Michigan. Uh, other than a brief stint in Colorado for a few years, um, I was unfamiliar with this case at all. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm on the other side of the state, but right. What a crazy! What a crazy story. Still unsolved to this day. Yes. Yep. Um, now, I, now your, your two other podcasts, you have a podcast called Deadball, which is uh, about tragedies in baseball history. Uh, when did yes. you start that one?
1: So I started that, uh, I think it was at the end of 2019 or early 2020. And I work with Tim Scott and Chuck Walters on that one. Tim is a huge baseball fan. So is Chuck. And they both wanted to do this baseball podcast. They were actually producing Deadball and they'd asked if I would take over as host. Which I said, okay. sure, no problem. I help them a little bit with the writing. And we talk about tragedies from the early years of professional baseball.
0: That's super interesting. I haven't I haven't had a chance to check that one out yet, but I just when I came across that in our and uh my notes here, I thought that's that's really interesting. what an interesting spin on on baseball. I've never heard anything like that before. How how often do you guys do episodes for Deadball?
1: We're on a hiatus right now, but we're gonna pick back up in April, and I think it's about two episodes a month.
0: Two a month. And do you only do it like during the baseball season or it just happens to be the hiatus lined up?
1: Right now, we're, we happen to be on a hiatus and we're planning on picking back up when baseball starts.
0: Uh, and then your your other show you have is called Don't Talk to Strangers. And that one focuses specifically on the Oakland County child killers. When, when did that one begin?
1: That one started in 2018. And I, I actually ran into a bit of a hiccup with that. I was producing Don't Talk to Strangers and working on it and my dad became terminally ill in the middle of producing that podcast. So it ended up mm-hmm. being drawn out because I had to focus on my father. But that was definitely a passion project. Um, the Oakland County child killer case not only impacted my childhood, but it also impacted the way that I raised my own kids. And I think that's mm-hmm. true for most people who grew up in the, the Oakland County or the metro Detroit area during that time. Is it it really – kids were literally being snatched off the streets and then being found murdered three to 21 days later.
0: That's, that's crazy. Have you talked about the Oakland County child killers case on Already Gone or did you – because I know you said when you started Already Gone, you wanted to get into that and then eventually you made the podcast about it. Did you, have you also talked about it on Already Gone?
1: I did a two-episode series on it for Already Gone, which just made me realize how much there wasn't That I wasn't talking about in those two episodes, so I stretched it out into a series, and I think it's fourteen episodes because there were nine. Yeah, there were nine murdered children between January of nineteen seventy six and March of nineteen seventy seven, and six of those cases are unsolved.
0: That's 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 crazy, and there's still this list of suspects. Before we get into that, real quick, I want to touch on you have. So I know you have the the one daughter who's who's sixteen. You said you have kids. How many kids do you have?
1: We have a 24-year-old son who lives back in Michigan, and right now we have a bonus child. They are 23 that is staying with us. We okay. tend to, our household tends to pick up stray kids. We had a high schooler living <laughs> right. with us a few years ago, and now we have this 23-year-old who's living with us.
0: How, how, do, you, how do you find the, the, the bonus child when you've just moved to a new city? So this must not be a friend of your son's.
1: This actually is a friend of my son's who used to babysit our daughter, and uh, they ran into some difficulties back in Michigan, and we asked if they wanted to come down to Georgia with us and get a fresh start and just get a break from the stress that they were under back home, and they were like, yes, please. And that was two years ago. Well,
0: that's awesome that you were able to do that.
1: Yeah. They're a good kid.
0: So do you do you plan on now that you're down in Georgia for for a couple of years? Do you like it down there? You plan on sticking it out down there for the long haul? Are you ever going to make a triumphant return to Michigan?
1: I would love to come back to Michigan. My husband loves it down here, and his job is down here. So it looks like we're in Georgia for the foreseeable future.
0: Are Are you still? Because I, I know at least originally, already gone cases were focused on Michigan cases or Great Lakes region cases. Are you still doing that from? Georgia, or have you expanded since then?
1: I am covering cases from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. So mostly Michigan, but sometimes New York or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, but mostly Michigan.
0: Okay. I guess it's still a pretty big area if you take all five Great Lakes. Yes. All right. So now, did you, when, when you started to develop uh, already gone, you said your, your husband brought you home a Blue Yeti mic. How'd you learn how to make a podcast? I'm always curious how people. I I learned on YouTube with like one YouTube video and then just started and then made garbage for years until I figured out how to do it better.
1: Yeah, that was that was my. Um, I was recording using you know Skull Candy earbud headphones and recording in my dining room and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I actually took down the first episode because it was so cringy and redid it as my fifth anniversary <laughs> case.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome. I yeah. always thought about doing that, but I just never had the effort i instead, I went back to my first episode and put an intro into it, and was like, "Look, you're going to listen to this, and it's going to sound terrible. <laughs> just know it gets better and and just and stick with it
1: yeah, I think a lot of us sort of start trial by error and produce some relatively cringy content and then grow into who we are as a host
0: yeah, well, that's what makes it a cool industry is so many of us are just you know independent folks who just you know, you were a teacher. I was a fireman. You know, you've got so many, uh, so many of some of the bigger podcasters were all just they had other jobs, and this was a hobby that turned into their podcast. And we all had to learn as we went. So let's let's dig into. I want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about this case because it's a it's a pretty ca- crazy one. Um, the Oakland County child killers. I mentioned living in the other side of the state. I was not familiar with this, uh, but this is a serial killer. He was. Operating – now, all these murders or missing children happened between 1976 and 1977. Do you think that's the only time that he or they were active? Yes. Or is that just – okay.
1: Yeah, they they have a pretty good idea of who the killers were, and they are both deceased. One died Mm – uh, by self-inflicted gunshot wound in 1978. The other went to prison on unrelated charges and died of a heart attack in 1995. But the Michigan State Police, the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office, they have never released evidence or come forward to say, and definitively, we believe it was these two people that were involved in the murders. They've never given, you know, they fought the families at every turn to give them information, to give them evidence it's really been shameful the way these families have been treated. And the parents, you know, the murders were 42 years ago, uh, 45 years ago now. The parents are mostly deceased. And in some cases, there there are no family left. The siblings are also deceased. And there are still no answers. Now, all nine murders were not done by the same two people. There were three original murders in January that were done by three different people. There were the four canon cases associated with the Oakland County child killer, which is Timmy, Christine, Jill, and Mark. And then there was the the murder of Valerie Bishop in Detroit in uh, February of 77. And there is untested evidence in her case that I have been pressing the Michigan Secretary of, uh, not Secretary of State, the Michigan Attorney General, Dana Nessel, I got stuff on her desk asking her to please test the blood evidence in that case because the main suspect is still alive.
0: So, can you break us down, kind of the the beats of the case? Because it's 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 even more complicated than I thought from what you're describing. That there are multiple killers; they're not all by the same people. Were the people connected? I, I guess just kind of walk us through what was going on in '76 and '77.
1: So January of 1976 started out with the murder of Judy Farrow in Redford. She was a 16-year-old babysitter who was found dead in a park near the house where she was babysitting. It took several months, but they determined that a neighbor, a guy named Gary Pervinkler, who lived down the street from where she was babysitting, took her from the house at gunpoint, murdered her in the park, drove up to Cadillac, and shot himself. But his body wouldn't be found until spring. Meanwhile, there were two other teenagers murdered in January. One was uh, Cynthia Kadju from the Warren area, uh, Roseville actually, and she was found dead in Franklin. Her body was left nude by the side of the road. And then there was Sheila Schrock, who was a babysitter in Birmingham, who was shot to death and raped. Now, those cases would eventually go on to be solved, but it would take several months. So as Those cases happen in January. In February, Mark Stebbins disappears, and he's found smothered, and they've got four dead kids in the first two months of the year. That was how 76, which was the bicentennial, started out. In August, a 13-year-old named Jane Allen was hitchhiking home from her boyfriend's house when she disappeared. Her body was found in the Great Miami River down in Ohio. Um, Her cause of death has never been released, and I've been in contact with the Miamisburg police, and they're very interested in solving it, but they haven't been able to put anything together. And then around Christmas time, we have Jill Robinson, who had a fight with her mom. Jill was 11 and rode her bike away, and she was found with her face blown off on the side of the freeway a couple of days after Christmas. In February, we've got Valerie Bishop who I think was 10 years old. She'd walked up to the corner store to buy milk. She was found raped and beaten, stabbed, covered in snow in an alley in Detroit. But Oakland County, which was a very white community, was like, no, 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 this isn't one of our cases. We don't have anything to do with it. And Valerie's case, unfortunately, was, was really brushed aside. And then in March, Timothy King, who was from Birmingham, which is a very wealthy Oakland County suburb, disappeared after riding his skateboard up at the corner store. And he was found smothered in Wayne County a few days later. And I totally left out Christine Mahalik, who was the second February murder. She was held for 21 days. And then after Tim was found, it just ended.
0: What was the end? Now, were, were a lot of the victims held captive for a while before they were killed? Or was that unique to just the one?
1: So all four kids were held for between one and a half and 21 days. The four canon cases, if you will, which is Tim, Mark, Jill, and Christine. Christine was held 21 days, and her mother said that Christine was held so long because she was such a lovely little girl. Just a pleasure to be around.
0: What what makes those four cases canon, as you said, as far as this case? Are they the ones that are accepted as though they were part of the... Oakland County child killer, yes. serial victims. Yes,
1: Jane Allen and uh, Valerie Bishop are not thought to be killed by the same person. Although, okay, it's it's interesting to look at the four cases that are canon because three of the kids were smothered, where someone held the, their hand over their mouth and nose until they were no longer breathing. Except for Christine Mahalik, no, sorry, except for Jill Robinson, who was shot in the face by a shotgun.
0: So what now how these are kind of lumped together as all part of you know the the ones that are accepted as canon and the other ones that are that are are not that are i guess more fringed do, do you think that it was the same group or people that killed the ones that aren't you know canon as 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 you put it or is it a completely separate group of people that did this
1: I think that the four children were killed by the same person or persons, and then the outliers are Jill and Valerie. Sorry, Jane and Valerie, and they were killed in separate incidents. The point of Don't Talk to Strangers was just how, pardon me, but how fucking terrifying it was to be a child between January of 76 and March of 77, because nine children were murdered. And at the time, none of them were solved.
0: Yeah, and it's so it's so it's almost like there's an epidemic where you have and well even the four you said were killed by two different people.
1: I think it was two people working together.
0: Okay, and and who who are those? Because when we we get into the suspects, I've I've read that that uh, there was a time where people thought John Wayne Gacy was responsible, but his DNA didn't match. And then there's a series of other suspects. What which suspects were the ones that are were I guess confirmed to be the killers of the four?
1: It's commonly believed that uh, Christopher Bush, whose father was the chief financial officer of General Motors, was one of the killers, along with his cousin, Gregory Green.
0: Okay. Um, And was that due to DNA evidence, or what what led people to believe that they were the ones that were responsible?
1: Well, right after Timmy was killed… Christopher Bush was sent to a psychiatric facility. I believe he was sent overseas for psychiatric care, and the murders stopped. Okay. And Gregory Green, who Christopher Bush came from a very wealthy family, lived in a big, beautiful home, was the youngest of four boys. He went away, and Gregory Green, who lived in Flint and came from a poorer family, went to prison on unrelated charges. And all of a sudden, there's no more killing. But no one has ever acknowledged their involvement. The DNA evidence in that case has been extinguished. There is nothing else available. All they have is basically the profile sitting in a computer somewhere.
0: And did the profile match uh, Bush or Green?
1: No, the profile has not been matched to anyone, but no one has ever said for sure if Gregory Green's DNA was tested prior to his death in 1995.
0: Okay. Does anybody have, uh, as far as the the rest of the the other victims, which I'm trying to keep the math straight? So there was nine total. So you yes. have four, uh, and then there's five others that that we don't think were committed by Bush and Green. Is that right? There's five others. Correct.
1: Ones? The three that happened in January are all solved. We know who did them, but we didn't find out until seventy seven, seventy eight, even as late as nineteen eighty, who committed those murders. So the first three murders in January of the teenage girls; those are resolved. So we have the okay. the four that are canon, and then we have Jane Allen, the hitchhiker, and Valerie Bishop, who went to the corner store.
0: Okay. Now the three that were solved; who was responsible for those?
1: Three different and unrelated people.
0: This is insane. Like i I was thinking getting into this that we were dealing with one serial killer that was killing all these people, but it was like there's open season on children and teenagers. Yes. During this time. Yes. So you have, you have the two two guys that killed four people, three completely separate, unconnected people that killed three other victims, and then the two that are left that are unsolved. Are, are there any leads for the two unsolved cases?
1: So in the case of Jane Allen, she was left uh, in the Great Miami River down by Miamisburg, Ohio, is where she was found. And I believe, although her cause of death has never been released, that she died of carbon monoxide poisoning, that she was tied up and thrown in the trunk of a vehicle. So she was being transported somewhere, most likely. No one has ever been charged in her case. And the Miamisburg police, while I've spoken with the detective down there, and he's very nice, they're very tight-lipped. Valerie Bishop, our little girl who was going to the corner store, she. there was a neighbor that she had who was a former Detroit police officer. When they took him into custody, he had blood on his pants. But in 1977, you're not going to get a lot of evidence out of blood. What I have been pressing for is that those pants are still in evidence. Why aren't we testing them to see if it was him? Why hasn't any of the evidence in her case been tested again using modern technology?
0: Do they have a profile for her or any biological material they can get a profile from her, the victim?
1: I have been told by a reputable source that her case file is well-preserved, so there is stuff to test. They just have to test it, and I have offered to write a check for the testing. No, they don't Mm -hmm. do that. I pressed the... Attorney General here in Michigan, Dana Nessel, to please get involved and for her to press for the testing. And last I heard, it's on her desk.
0: Well, hopefully that 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 moves the needle forward. And, and that kind of gets me to you. So when already gone as episodic, you cover a different crime in every episode with some series of multi, multiples. When you When you set off to create the podcast, did you have a mission in mind with what you're hoping to accomplish with the work that you're doing?
1: So I sort of fell into working on missing persons cases um, as sort of a side gig. <laughs> um, but I I did not set out with Already Gone. I just wanted to tell interesting stories about unsolved cases.
0: Okay. Uh, where did the name of the podcast come from?
1: So I really like the Eagles, and they have a song called Already Gone. <laughs> and I thought it would be a good name for a podcast. <laughs> and That's so cringy, but it's true.
0: It's a solid name. It really is. I was always curious for the, I'm always curious about how the, like the, how all these shows get started, you know, from the very, everything from the name to the production and all that stuff. Um, did you have anybody yet? Cause you are, are very well connected in the true crime community. I mean, I think every group that I'm a member of on Facebook somewhere, you're in there, whether it's the podcast meetup groups or the podcast festival groups and stuff. When you started, did you have any podcasters helping you out, advising you along the way, or were you on your own and that's why you're trying to help people along the way?
1: So when I started out, I actually messaged, I'd been listening to a lot of Generation Y, and I messaged them and asked for advice. And Aaron was super kind and super helpful and gave me advice. Some of it I didn't listen to and I should have. And because he was kind to me and helpful to me, if people ask me for advice, I try and pay it forward with the understanding that someday somebody's gonna ask you and you need to be helpful to someone going forward because I would not have I would have not been successful without Aaron's support and advice. Well,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, Aaron and Justin are both are both great guys and they they've are. always been real supportive of, of anything that anyone's doing. Um and this is one of the things like I really like the when I, when I got to doing this, this work, the, the true crime podcast community, it's a community that you think as a business model would be very competitive, but then what we see is, you know, like when we go to these festivals and stuff like that, it's, it's a good chance for us all to get together. Everybody seems to be friends with everyone. Everyone's always helping everybody out and promoting each other's material. And it's just one of the coolest parts of the industry. I think.
1: It is. I've made some great friends. There's a, a women's podcast group that I'm part of. and. uh like Charlie from Crime Lines, Lisa Strawn, who you know, um, they've mm-hmm. both been wonderful. Lainey from True Crime Fan Club. I'm sure I'm forgetting people, but I, it's just been wonderful and I'm very grateful for these relationships.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's really good that we all have each other to help support because I was, I was just talking, I don't remember what it was, but another guest um, that I had on recently how it seems like all of a sudden, like. And it's funny because Mike, my producer, who was just one of my firemen that now that I brought along with me to help uh, make the podcast, he had said years ago, he's like, how long do you think it'll take before like big business and big industries come into the podcasting space like they have TV and everything? And I was like, no, man, this is the independent content creators space like they're never going to come in here. And then sure enough, you see. Everybody from Spotify to Amazon to, you know, everybody is buying up Audible, all all of these uh, podcasting spaces. So it becomes hard to compete uh, from an independent level. You know, when these people come in, well, every new show they come in with has, you know, a million-dollar marketing budget along with it. But I I think what, what keeps all of us independent people afloat is that network that we're, you know, we don't necessarily need an advertising budget because we all have friends in the industry that we can, like, ad swap with and, hey, I'll promote your stuff if you promote our stuff. So I think it, it's, it was a cool part of the of the industry, and I also think it's what's really keeping the independent creators like us afloat during all this.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting to see the evolution from what's a podcast to, you know, almost every celebrity either has a podcast or supports a podcast mm-hmm. or wants a podcast. So it's it's been interesting to watch the community grow and change.
0: Yeah, and I and I, I interview a lot of people on this show that are you know part of those big. You names. Know, you know it's great they're they're doing it, but the, you know the origin stories are so different. From I had an idea for a podcast. I got a microphone on Amazon. I watched a YouTube video and I started to. I had this idea for a story, so I pitched it to iHeart and pitched it to Audible and pitched it to Wondery, and so and so picked it up and funded it, and it just it. it it, it's just like the TV industry is how it's kind of becoming.
1: Right. Right. It's all about who you know and, and the big names. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I started when I did.
0: Yeah, me too. Because uh, I've had – uh, through the years, I've had a couple of of those bigger companies asked to buy my show, not this one, Truth and Justice. They wanted to you know, own the show and I've just never – I just never – I would never do it. I don't want anybody ever controlling the content that I put out. Which maybe to my demise, we'll see. Ask me in five years if that was a good <laughs> a good move. Um, can you tell us a little bit before we before we wrap this up? So, if, if people are tuning into already gone, you've got a ton of episodes already out there. Kind of break down like what can people expect from your show? What what do you, what kind of format do you have per per episode, and and what can they expect if they're listening?
1: Well, I'm definitely a storyteller, and I focus, of course, on Michigan and the Great Lakes region. But I try not to be overly. Gratuitous with what I share, unless it's germane to the story. So it's really kind of a kinder, gentler, true crime. I, I just, I'm very empathic, not only toward the victims, but their families and the impact of a crime on the community. And that again goes right back to the Oakland County child killer situation. I know what that ripple effect is like when there's something bad happening in a community. And I bring that into the story.
0: Well, that's awesome. And I've listened to a lot of your episodes over the years and they're, they're very well done, very well produced. Who now, who does your, do you have anybody helping you with production anymore? Do you still do it all?
1: I, I do a lot of the writing and the research. I do occasionally farm out scripts, but I've been working with Bill Burt, who's a Michigan radio guy. He's been doing my sound editing. So for the last Mm -hmm. six months or so, I've had a very different sound and I'm very grateful to be working with him
0: that's awesome and and what about music who handles your music
1: Bill puts all that together for me now
0: does all of it that was yes. that was the the best thing I ever did I, Shane Yoder uh from put them in a song dot com he and I connected years ago and he started doing all of our so Mike edits vocals and then we send everything to Shane and then Shane makes it sound good yep it's it's a, it's, a, it's a big step from the days when I was trying to, I have no clue what I'm doing, trying to make right. it all sound right.
1: Right. Yeah, my my first 20 or so episodes, I'll have a disclaimer at the front that the sound quality gets better, I promise. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're almost 180 episodes in, so things definitely sound different.
0: So there's plenty to listen to. Her name is Nina Instead. The podcast is called Already Gone. Check it out. There's 180 episodes to binge on and, and many more to come. And also make sure you check out her other show. She's got Dead Ball, which is tragedies in baseball history. And Don't Talk to Strangers, which focuses on the Oakland County child killers. Check them all out. They very well could be your next big true crime binge. Nina, thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to see you.
1: Thanks for having me. Good to see you.